This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. Ah, it's Friday. Top of the morning to you. Top of the Friday morning to you. Congrats. You made it a week. Now, you just got to get through today. And then it's your weekend where you can go and relax. Ignore your family and sleep in. Doesn't that sound like a great Saturday? Well, we got a great show for you today. Uh, Again... Holy cow, you won't believe it, but uh, the politicians are still in the news. The politicians, they're still around. They won't stop. It's, uh, it happens to be, by the way, Boss Day. So happy Boss Day to you. Happy Boss Day. Happy birthday or Boss Day to Don, our boss. It's also happy Boss Day. Now, the boss of all politics is money, and uh, they're all coming in. All the politicians are now reporting their, their uh, third quarter Fundraising totals. Jeb Bush raises $13.4 million. Right? Flush in cash. Ben Carson, however, broke all the records in his world. Uh, He raised more than $20 million in third quarter. He is getting the moolah and uh, some some other reports. Ted Cruz raised $12.2 million. In the quarter, he has about $13.5 million on hand. Carly Fiorina raised $6.8 million. Senator Marco Rubio raised about $6 million. He has $11 million on hand. And the deep pockets of the, uh, the casino, what's his name, Adelson. The casino Don, Sheldon Adelson. Anyway... Flushing cash. And it's not just the Republicans. Guess who else has got some money? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, $33 million war chest. <laughs> $33 million, including $28 million raised in the third quarter of this year. If they want to – if they're going to slow Hillary down – the U.S. Congress is going to have to have a lot of hearings, a lot. They're going to have to push more hearings because she just seems to keep making more and more money. And all of those donations weren't even involved in the Clinton, uh, you know, the Clinton Foundation. So she's raising the money outside of the Clinton Foundation. Donald Trump, by the way, um, is threatening to boycott the next GOP debate. He and Ben Carson, they're, they're a little peeved because this, this debate's going to go a lot longer than they'd like it to go. Remember, their last debate was about three hours. Compare that to the Democrats' debate. Two, two hours felt more like eight. Two hours that felt like eight. But the Don, the Donster doesn't, he doesn't want to play this game. Especially because if, if CNBC's going to just... Have it go longer because they're, they're, they need more commercial time so they can charge $250,000 a commercial. He doesn't want to play that game. 
Unless, of course, you probably want to pay him. If you want to pay him, then he's in. <sighs> now, who knows, right? Jeb Bush doesn't even know what Donald stands for. In fact, we got a great clip for you here. Um, how are we supposed to know what Donald stands for? He talks too much about himself. I have no clue. That's the point. He hasn't shared his views. When he talks about foreign policy, he talks about how Putin ought to go take care of ISIS. And the week before, is ISIS ought to take care of Assad. He would send refugees back to Syria to their slaughter. I mean, these are serious times. And um, I think you need a person who has the temperament and the leadership skills to fix the things that are broken and do it with passion and conviction, but also have the skills to lead. And um, over the long haul, I think that's that's the uh, lane I'm going to stay in, and I believe I'm going to be effective at doing it. I don't know about Donald Trump's views of leadership because he, he talks about himself the whole time rather than what he would do. Yeah. That's why you need the debate, Don. You got to get in the debate, and then you can tell Jeb what you're going to do. Man, the neat thing about these guys is they've got the best advice for each other. If all of the candidates would just listen to each other, we'd have an incredible list of candidates here. All very well informed. Anyway, remember last, uh, a couple days ago, actually, we were talking about fantasy sports sites like DraftKings and FanDuel. Well, guess what? The the number one state in the gambling industry, the state that knows what gambling is. See, a lot of people don't think DraftKings and FanDuel, they don't think it's a gambling site. But, you know, now there's a lot of investigations going on about insider trading and regulators want to come in and start regulating these sites. They don't have bets. They have entry fees. You're not going to have gambling winnings. You're going to have a prize that could top a, a million dollars. Well, uh, guess what? On Thursday, Nevada's Gaming Control Board issued a notice saying that these sites must stop offering their contests to residents in in their state of Nevada. Or they'll face felony fines and 10 years in prison. I think the Nevada Gaming Board is now saying, hey, no, these guys are gambling sites. Oh, yeah. Since offering daily fantasy sports in Nevada is illegal without appropriate license, all unlicensed activities must cease and desist from the date of this notice. There you have it. The official experts on gambling, the Nevada Gaming Control Board, they know gambling when they see it. Decision made. (sighs) Isn't it great? Just cleaning up all of the news from the week. Uh, Who better to do that, though, than our own Kathy Aiken, who's going to do a week in review. Kathy? everyone. President Obama announced yesterday he will not withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan despite promising to do so during his final term. Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other insurgents. The U.S. has just over 10,000 troops there now, and Obama will reportedly reduce that number to around 5,500. During an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes on Sunday, Obama talked about the controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. I don't think it posed a national security problem. I think that it Uh, It was a mistake that she's acknowledged. As a general proposition, when we're in these offices, we have to be more sensitive and stay as far away from the line as possible when it comes to how we handle information, how we handle our own personal data. Uh, And 
you know, she made a mistake. She's acknowledged it. Obama also said he believes the controversy has been ginned up for political reasons, but also said it's important for her to answer questions on the issue. Speaking of Clinton, most pundits say she won big during Tuesday's first Democratic debate. Clinton got most of the airtime and told viewers why she's running for president. Well, I can't think of anything more of an outsider than electing the first woman president, but I'm not just running because... I would be the first woman president. I'm running because I have a lifetime of experience in getting results and fighting for people. And I know what it takes to get things done. I know how to find common ground, and I know how to stand my ground. Bernie Sanders talked about his concerns on Wall Street, climate change, and fought with Martin O'Malley on gun control. Senator, it was not about rural and urban. Have you ever been to the Eastern Shore? Have you ever been to Western Maryland? We were able to pass this and still respect the hunting traditions of people who live in our rural areas. And we did it by leading with principle, not by pandering to the NRA and backing down to the NRA. And I have been asked. I don't think I am pandering, but you have not been in the United States Congress. And when you want to check it out, and if you think, if you think that we can simply go forward, and pass something tomorrow without bringing people together, you are surely mistaken. Jim Webb and Lincoln Chafee were the other two on the stage. At one point, Chafee criticized Hillary on her vote for the war in Iraq. And you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I know, because I did my homework. And so that's an indication of how someone will perform in the future, and that's what's important. The next Democratic debate is November 14th in Iowa. At a presidential rally Wednesday night in Virginia, Donald Trump weighed in on the debate and said Hillary would be easy to beat. Hillary has had such a bad time as Secretary of State that I really think that she is going to be rather easy to beat. Trump also called Sanders a socialist communist. Just over 15 million people watched Tuesday's CNN debate, about 8 million less than the Republican debate on the same network. The third Republican debate is scheduled for October 28th. On Capitol Hill, the House continues to look for a new Speaker of the House to replace John Boehner. Many are trying to convince Wisconsin's Paul Ryan to enter the race, though he's declined the invitation even from Mitt Romney, the former presidential candidate he ran with. Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who threw his name into the ring, talked about what the House is trying to fix. we got to change things. Uh, we need a fresh start. Uh, we have a, a gulf and a divide that needs to be bridged. Uh, we need a speaker, I think, who takes the communications uh, realm and, and drives the discussion in this country about what it is we're standing for and what it is we're trying to do. And, uh, and so we're going through that exercise because Speaker Boehner stepped down and the majority leader decided that we do need a fresh face. The internal speakership vote was postponed last week. The full chamber vote is still scheduled for October 29th. Two Kansas City firefighters died Monday night when a building engulfed in flames collapsed. The firefighters saved two civilians before the building collapsed. Two other firefighters were in stable condition. The American dentist who killed the prized lion in Zimbabwe will not be charged. An official from the country says Walter Palmer obtained the legal authority to kill Cecil the lion. The report says Palmer is free to visit Zimbabwe as a tourist but will not be issued permits to hunt. Meanwhile, two men who allegedly helped Palmer still face charges. A school system in Connecticut has reversed its decision to cancel Halloween parades after an outcry from parents. The schools in Milford, Connecticut 
had canceled the parade, saying some children may feel excluded due to religious or cultural reasons. South Carolina football coach Steve Spurrier announced this week he's resigning from the team, effective immediately. The 70-year-old Spurrier won the Heisman Trophy in 1966 and was a third overall pick by the 49ers in the NFL draft one year later. Spurrier coached in the NFL as well as college. He led Florida to the national championship in 1996, but this year the Gamecocks are off to just a 2-4 and four start. USC football coach Steve Sarkeesian was fired just one day after he was put on indefinite leave. Athletic director Pat Hayden made the move after he determined Sarkeesian was in no condition to lead practice. In August, Sarkeesian appeared to be intoxicated at a pep rally. This is USC's fourth coaching change in just over two years. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, honestly, it's been a good week. Think of that. A lot of news, crazy news, right? But you made it, folks. It's Friday. You finally made it. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing a great show um, and, and have a wonderful topic coming up with the shootings in Oregon, with all of the, you know, the crazy violence you hear on the news. Um, is any of this tied to social media use? Are there better uh, uses of social media um, when it comes to a shooting? Can, can we use our social media to help us heal better as a country? Could we also use our social media to actually keep creating more problems around violence? We're going to be talking mass shootings and mass media, social media, how it changes our understanding of violence. Stick with us, folks. Dr. Helen Farrell will be joining us. Gets, uh, get you some good insight on how you can uh, be a healthier social media consumer and distributor when it comes to violence. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've all been near the TV or radio when an alert for breaking news goes off, and we feel a rush and a sense of adrenaline as we wait to hear the update. More and more of these reports are being filled uh, with news of violence. And while the advantages of instant notification has aided our country in times of tragedy, it also has left us with damages we may not even realize are happening. Dr. Helen Farrell describes this conflict saying social media and live streaming can be excellent tools for the quick dissemination of news, marketing, and entertainment. But there are there is more. Such platforms also provide an outlet for exhibitionism, and this can lead to disastrous consequences. Dr. Helen Farrell joins us now to teach us more about the effects of social media and how it has played on our understanding of violence. Dr. Farrell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Delighted to be here. Great to have you here. Hey, uh, this is, I think this is a big, big deal from, you know, from, to me, when it really hit me, Dr. Farrell, was that um, live shooting that took place in Virginia with that news Mm -hmm. team. Because it was immediate. You could see it. It It was horrendous, impactful. We then started putting the videos up. Everyone starts, you know, putting it out on social media. But it created a sense of terror immediately that I, I almost hadn't felt since like nine eleven. Yeah, I agree, Matt. These incidents—they're terrible, they're tragic, and 
fortunately, they're few and far between. Mass yeah. shootings are very rare things, um, but just horrific tragedies when they do happen. And that shooting in Virginia was so incredibly unique because it happened on live TV. So people were able to see it in the thousands in real time. And then when it gets replayed over and over again and starts leaking out into social media, it reaches millions, even billions of people as the whole world is watching. Oh, I mean, and this is this seems like a new phenomenon, right? We didn't have social media spreading these images um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, used to just, we just relied on our news sources to kind of get the information out there. What, what do you think you're a, you're a psychiatrist and, um, uh, a forensic psychiatrist board certified taught, what is the impact do you think that social media is having on our view of these violent events? Absolutely. So I think social media is having, one impact in that it's creating a lot of fear and anxieties in people when it comes to terrible events like mass shootings and other horrific crimes. There's also the potential, though, for mass media to have a very positive impact for the culture. So let me explain that. In terms of the negative impacts, when social media starts putting out um, footage of crimes, of shootings, of things that that are rare and that we don't see in day-to-day life and shouldn't ever see, um, it does a couple of things to our brains. So what we know from neuroscience is that when we see something that is dangerous and violent, an area of our brain called the amygdala, not to get too technical, but the amygdala is a very important little structure in our brains that actually registers our emotions. So when we see something violent, everybody's going to register that in a different way. But for most people, it's going to be registered in some form of fear, anxiety, worry, maybe even intrigue, curiosity, but with a lot of tension and angst. Mm. Now, when that happens, our amygdala is kind of like light up. They're on fire. And then at the same time, the part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that is meant to be the part of our brain that helps us be rational, thoughtful human beings who can strategize, organize, plan things, that starts to kind of dampen down a little bit because we're so overcome with emotion. And the result is that we start to live in a state of anxiety. And when people feel anxious, they tend to perpetuate the anxiety by seeking answers, seeking knowledge, and that manifests itself in people oh, watching yeah. the video footage. Yeah, then we yeah, so we research, don't we? Impact. Yeah. Oh wow. Exactly, so exactly. <laughs> so that's interesting. Let me let me just make sure I get <laughs> let me make sure I get what you're saying then, um, Dr. Farrell. So when we see these images, kind of our, our reptilian brain, the amygdala fight or flight, kicks in. It, it, it heightens us. It, it, we start to register more emotion of fear, anxiety, worry, even like a, maybe like a, a, a weird intrigue. Um, but, mm-hmm. And then we, then we – but that creates some anxiety. And then in, to, to, like, to get rid of the anxiety, we want to do something. So we go in and start investigating, reading more about it, looking into it, watching the videos, which just perpetuates more of it. Exactly, exactly. And social media makes that so easy for us because there's a ton of content about these events out there. And 
on the flip side of it, I think social media could have a very positive impact when it comes to forensic crimes, hateful crimes, terrible tragedies. Um, the positive impact could come it, when people use social media as a tool to share support to each other, condolences, to kind of get together and sort of brainstorm about how to get through this together in a healthy way and actually sending out some positive affirmations to other people and even just thoughts and concerns for the families and people directly impacted by the shooting in Virginia or the recent shootings in Oregon or the horrible tragedy that happened in Newtown years ago Mm -hmm. where young children were actually killed and severely harmed. So you can use it. I guess so there's because we're we are all probably using it fairly naively like you know someone might just naively repost information about the shooting that includes a, a you know a bunch of videos or or Twitter feeds that keep you know showing video of the violence or you can use it on the other side to kind of create a healing tool a balm uh, something that we can go kind of help people you know have a forum to talk about it, share the positive stories, share the hero kind of stories. So it's really, it's, it's a choice for how we use it. Absolutely. Man. That's one of my kind of best thoughts or um, best uh, kind of frames of mind is the idea that we can't choose what happens to us. We can't choose what other people are doing out there in the world. But we, and we can't necessarily choose how we feel about that, but we can certainly choose our response to all mm. of it. And there's a way to do that in a very healthy manner. Yeah. And, and this is, I guess, an interesting dilemma because in the media, when I grew up uh, many, many moons ago, um, I just remember watching my my producers, my news directors. They were very skilled. They were very you know, educated in the news. And, and they took that role of disseminating information very carefully. And mm-hmm. but now we have everybody is really now a news disseminator and they can decide how they're going to what they're going to promote, what they're going to push. But we may not be doing it with the same insight. Yeah, exactly. That's something that I found as well as a forensic psychiatrist that whenever I meet people just out in my social life and I tell them what I do for a living, that I study mental health and how it interfaces with the law and crime and people are so intrigued and they'll start asking me questions coming from headline news and saying, well, what does, you know, it mean when somebody goes out and and shoots someone? What is it? What are they thinking? What's going on? And um, because I'm getting so many questions around that, I actually decided to be my own disseminator of news in a way. And I started a column through psychology today called front page forensics. And the idea is really to take these headline news stories and try to transform it into tangible information that can give the public some knowledge and insights into why these things happen. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's a great, it's a great um, blog because I, I, I'm looking through it. I've seen it before and it, it, it really is. It's what we need to hear because like you, you bring up a, a very basic issue. Actually, we probably ought to take a break and then come back and talk about it. But I want to come back and talk about the fact that what, what this does to some people that aren't stable and that aren't healthy mm-hmm. mentally, this whole perpetuation of the violence is not 
good for them that it actually it might set them up for a grandiose moment where they might think they're going to become famous or infamous. And so I'd love to come back, Dr. Farrell, and have you touch on that. What does this do to the maybe less healthy among us? Um, social media, folks, it's it's a powerful tool for good, isn't it? And it's also um, it's a powerful tool for for really anything. Um, we got to be careful, though, because we are the master of the tool. And if you're not careful, it's going to bite you. We'll take a break. Come back more with Dr. Helen Farrell. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, mass media, social media, and how it changes or and has changed our understanding of violence. I mean, think about it. You hear a lot more today about violence across the world than you do than you did growing up, don't you? Also, what's interesting about that is um, you are safer today believe it or not, than you've ever been. It just doesn't always feel like it. It And maybe a lot of that is simply because, you know, I have all these news feeds and Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds. So we've asked um, Harvard Medical School instructor in psychiatry and staff psychiatrist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston to join us. Dr. Helen Farrell is with this, and she's a board-certified psychiatrist and forensic psychiatrist. She also is... Um, uh, a blogger, I guess we're calling it on psychology today. She writes a regular uh, a regular blog there called Front Page Forensics, and it's it really is a fascinating read because she takes all of the latest stories and then basically gives us uh, a true blue medical insight into what's going on in the mass shootings and everything that's going on around the country. So go check that out at Psychology Today. Dr. Helen Farrell, welcome back to the show. Hi, Matt. Thank you. You bet. Great to have you here. Um, talk to us about what, you know, this, all of this dissemination of shooting information and the videos and kind of the aggrandizement of the shooter. What does this do to somebody that's already mentally not stable? Mm, it can do a lot. And one thing that I think is really important to point out, though, is someone who is mentally unstable or emotionally unstable doesn't necessarily mean that that person is mentally ill from a medical standpoint. Mm. So I think it's really important to distinguish for our listeners that people who are truly mentally ill, who have a major psychiatric pathology, things like depression, psychotic disorders, anxiety, personality disorders, um, these are people who are suffering from medical illnesses that are very treatable, and people with mental illness who are undergoing treatment are actually very unlikely to do anything violent or harm other people. Right. In fact, studies show that the mentally ill or someone with a mental illness is more likely to be a victim of violent crime than a perpetrator hmm. of it. However, there are a lot of people out there who maybe don't quite have a mental illness, but they are unstable, emotionally unstable, 
dysregulated for a number of reasons. Maybe they have some biological predisposition to um, having more aggressive hormones in their body. Maybe there's a family history of violence. Maybe psychologically they haven't been able to form very good attachments to other people in life or they utilize very unhealthy and primitive defense mechanisms in dealing with tensions and struggles in the world or perhaps socially just things aren't going well for them. They're having trouble with school jobs, relationships, etc. So for that subset of a person, they are going to be a lot more likely to kind of feed off of the negativity that they see in social media and perhaps even um, look at some of these high-profile crimes and in some ways want to copy them, whether it's for attention or you know, self-grandizing uh, or whatever. It, it really, it's it's because we sometimes end up in the media sensationalizing the shooter, which mm-hmm. you know almost gives them a bigger than you know, kind of a, a bigger than world sense, and and it almost feels like. We might. I really don't like even using their names. I don't. I don't want to give them even that credit, uh, good, bad, right. or even to identify them because I am. I do worry about other people that might copycat, and especially when you see the whole issue going on with terrorism and how terrorists and terrorist groups are using mass media to kind of go find these individuals that feel ostracized from the community, and they're they're almost just. Uh, they're they're what's it called? They're just preparing them for mm-hmm. you know to come into the fold and start creating problems or copycat issues. So, so what what yeah. would you recommend that we do, uh, Doctor Farrell? I mean, we don't want to perpetuate it, and we want to use the the media, our social media, for good. Um, what do you recommend we do? Yeah, well, right along the lines with what you just said, Matt, it's so important that we not give notoriety to these killers, which is what they are, and that we, for example, don't use their names and don't celebrate, you know, what they did. Take the focus away from the perpetrator of the crime and really focus it on the heroes in the situations, the people who survived, the families that survived their loved ones, and really sharing their stories. I think that's what's most important for both the media to be doing and for us as users of that tool. Yeah. I mean, and and what's interesting, what you just brought up was I think there's a really powerful parallel because we all jump on the bandwagon and even the president brought this up. Here's another shooting and we will all go crazy about it for a few days and then it will kind of disappear. But and then we, then then even during the, those shootings everyone gets into gun control issues or they get into the need to work on mental illness. But we could be using our social media to promote healthy understanding of mental illness all the time. We don't have to wait oh, for a shooting to take place, right? We can we should be using right. our social media and that's I know one of the things you really uh, you've written a lot on is we, we don't want to stigmatize mental illness so we drive it underground. Mm-hmm. We want to promote a healthy understanding of mental illness like like as you were just teaching us. Yeah, exactly, because 
promoting the healthy side of mental illness and that mental health is attainable and really educating people that this is merely a medical problem that is actually very treatable, whatever somebody's suffering from, is so important because what we know is that according to the National Institute of Mental Health, it takes people over a decade after the onset of mental illness symptoms before they actually reach out for help. And that's Mm. far too long for any individual to be suffering. I mean, think about that. They're suffering in silence and loneliness, and and they're still being judged by everyone around them like that person's a downer, you know. Um, Right. And yet they're suffering, and we don't even bring it out. And then then when there is a shooting... We think, you know, anyone that had depression could be a shooter and right. nothing could be further from the truth. Exactly. That's so true. Mm. It's uh, it, it really is a it's a it's kind of a sad it's a sad situation where there's a great, I guess, benefit blessing side of all of this because we have this incredible technology and most of us don't even know how powerful it could be to spread good. And yet we're also kind of tantalized by the dark side of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We, we, it seems Absolutely. like we spread the dark stuff faster than we spread some of the good stuff. Yeah, I would really encourage people to be looking on their social media for supportive links to things like the National Institute of Mental Health, the World Health Organization, even the wonderful organization of TED, um, Technology Entertainment Design. Yeah. And of which I did a TEDx talk on mental health, creating hope for mental health. Well, TED actually has a whole playlist of talks promoting good mental health. And these are fascinating talks. And these are the kinds of things that I would encourage people to be seeking out and sharing and, you know, making that go viral, not just the uh, tragedies and the horrific things that are happening. Yeah. In fact, um, we had a really good example of that. So, this is the show comes from BYU and the LDS Church um, sends these missionaries out all over the country. They, those missionaries, they're about nineteen to twenty five years of age, usually eighteen to twenty five years of age, and you know, which is right about the stage that some of them are figuring out that they have some mental health issues. And um, there was a story. So a lot of times, not a lot, but many times, these missionaries go out there. They're in this new world. They they fall into depression or some anxiety every once in a while. And they come home, and a lot of times when they come home, we don't know what to do. Like nobody understands why they came home, and and if we don't communicate very well, it just – everyone just kind of is left not understanding. But I saw a beautiful Facebook post by a mom whose son came home early and said – and there's a little stigma to that because did he come home early because he had done something wrong? Is he – so there's a weird kind of subtle judgment from the community – But she said she put together the most beautiful post about her son who faithfully was out serving, doing everything he could, was battling some social um, uh, some social anxiety, fought it as long as he could and and came home to to get healthy. And by by doing that, all of a sudden I saw it opened these doors in the community for more people to start sharing that and. It's that's it's so healing. Wonderful. It's so healing. It is so healing. And I think that's such a testament to the fact that our culture and society, you know, just promotes people working so hard, working themselves into the ground. And what we need to be doing is really championing each other 
giving self-care to ourselves and recognizing that as extremely important. Yeah, I think, and especially as you see it, I mean, a forensic psychiatrist, I mean, to me, you're like, oh, everyone has got a question for Helen. Because, like, did you watch NCIS? Because I swear this happened. Um, Did (laughs) you really, you see a lot of kind of the extreme psychological disorders, issues that lead to violence and pain. But but help us, just give us a real understanding. That's not the real world, though. I mean, that's that's not the majority of people we're coming across. Overall, we're very safe, aren't we? We are extremely safe. And I've had the good fortune in my career to meet a whole breadth of different kinds of people. Um, and even um, in some of the very extreme cases where I've met people who have committed heinous crimes here, who are accused of such and who have uh, impacted other people, I'm coming across, you know, people who are still caring for for them, whether it's from a treatment perspective or, um, you know, getting to know families of victims. And it's all incredibly rewarding. And no matter what I've seen, I personally have a very optimistic outlook on the world. I think we are extremely safe. I think that these terrible events are, are very rare, fortunately, uh, but still in, incredibly significant. Yeah. Do you think, um, I, I think also we, and we magnify it. So our social media becomes this big magnifying lens. So it looks like it's everywhere. Um I also think a big issue that we run into is we we stigmatize it or we stereotype it or we awfulize it, demonize it. Most a lot of these people that are performing these heinous acts, they're they're very sick, right? They're mm-hmm. and so yeah. we can demonize it. Sure, I get it. We need to demonize it. They're bad. Demonize it. Except we also have to understand what's happening, or we'll never solve this. Right, exactly. We have to understand what's happening, and we also have to make prevention and early intervention a key. Mm. And really, to me, it seems like the mental health prevention and early intervention is is the key, not even just to end violence or to minimize violence and mass violence, but it's the key to kind of just overall growth and health. Yeah, exactly. I love how you frame that, Matt, because I like to look at it from a very optimistic perspective. We're not just trying to stop violence or stop crimes, but we actually want people to grow and excel and Mm. achieve and um, flourish. Yeah. It's kind of why we're here, it seems like. We're not just here to dodge bullets. We're here to (laughs) smell the roses and to raise families and to change our lives and to grow. It's Man, I don't know how you do it every day, Helen. I mean, because it's—I mean, I guess it's cool because you're the majority of your your clients, your patients are, you know, progressing. They're changing, and you're a part of a powerful change. It's not just mm-hmm. the, the ugly. Exactly, and I feel so fortunate to have forums like your show, Matt, to talk about this more because I feel like in treating people and treating individuals, which is great and hopefully impacting their village in terms of their direct contacts and loved ones. But I think it's so important also in my role as a psychiatrist to reach even more people 
and your show allows me a forum to do that. I'm going to continue to do it through my writings and education of people. Yeah. Well, no, do and keep it up. And Helen, we're going to have you back. My producer Terry is going to talk to you. I've, I was looking at your list of topics, and every one of those needs to be discussed. So we are going to have you back, young lady. Uh, Dr. Helen Farrell, thank you so much for what you're doing, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Matt. You bet. And again, go to Psychology Today and just just type in front page forensics. You'll get right to her blog page and dozens of articles about some of the latest topics. You've seen them all uh, in the news, everything from the NFL to abortion to everything you can imagine, suicide um, and, you know, just life, folks. Front page forensics with uh, Dr. Helen M. Farrell, M.D., And plus, man, are you kidding me? She's the one that trains all the Harvard students. I don't know that they need just a great psychiatrist, but she's she's the real deal. We'll take a break, come back, do a little wrap-up on this subject, put a nice bow on it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as we've talked about so many times on the show, the, our tendency as, as human beings, you know, once we kind of get in that fight-or-flight brain is we, we, we go pretty extreme, right? We go to the extreme, and we, we got to watch out for it because when it comes to these violent events, you can go extreme. I mean, violence is bad. Except if we push everyone to the extreme, we're actually seeing this a lot in the political debate right now. Uh, we see the, in the political debate, the conservatives, GOP goes extreme one way. The progressive liberal Democrats go extreme the other way. And in those extremes, we, um, we tend to become even more and more polarized. We trust each other even less. And in reality, there is a huge gap in between where we have common ground. And so one of the things I love about what Dr. uh, Helen Farrell is doing, and we just put it up on our Twitter feed, um, at Dr. Matt Show, you can go look at her TED Talk, which is about ending the stigma of mental health. Um, It's an idea worth spreading is the name of her speech. And we've got to learn what mental health is and what it's not. And just because somebody's depressed doesn't mean – they're crazy and violent. In fact, like she said earlier, they're much more likely to be have violent acted violence acted upon them or perpetuated against them than they are to be the perpetuator of the violence. So, and they're not just crazy, and they're not just freaks. They're humans, and it's a huge percentage of the population. So, when we talk about it. Let's try to not make it extreme. Let's try to not push everyone away. Let's try to grow a bigger circle here. Right? And it's got to start with you. Oh, why is it always me? Well, we could start with your neighbor, but they're not listening to the show right now. You are. So if you're listening to the show right now, what can you do today? To have a better understanding of mental illness. Who in the world around you are suffering with mental illness? 
And what can you do? It's not just a few people. It's a lot of people. 20, 30 percent of the population have depression or anxiety. It's not just a personal weakness. You can't just, you know, use your willpower to get over it. It doesn't work that way. It is treatable. You don't have to just sit there and suffer with it. And by the way, a lot of people that are suffering with it can't necessarily get out of it on their own because it is an illness that's making it harder for them to handle it, right? They have depression. Or it's like the clients I have that have attention deficit disorder, and the guy tells me he's had it for 10, 15, he's had it his whole life, 20 years he's known about it. And his wife's like, well, why haven't you taken care of it? He's like, I, you know, I don't know, I just haven't. Well, you need to go to the doctor. I know. She goes, I tell you that all the time. He's like, I know. I got to get on that. Well, why hasn't the guy with ADD gone to the doctor yet? How about because he has ADD? Oh, he keeps forgetting. And yet you're so frustrated with him. These these people need a little guidance. They need a little help at times. They They need your guidance to help get them the help they need. And we can all step in and do more of it. And these people shouldn't be locked up. They don't need to be locked up. They just need to be understood, figure out what it is, and treat it. And I'm telling you, I've seen more lives changed by a simple treatment, not even just medicine, but just understanding what their issue is. So there's freedom there, folks, in the mental health world. Go to our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show, and you can watch that uh, wonderful talk by Dr. Helen Farrell. Um, And be careful what you're posting on social media as well. Let's let it build the world, not just uh, focus on the dark side. We'll take a break. First hour of the Matt Townsend Show in the can. We'll be back next hour. More tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools you need to unleash your potential, to take care of what you need to take care of. Life is hard. None of us got a handbook. So instead, we have to kind of go through life piecing together a handbook. That is what the show's for, giving you the latest research, the information, the ideas, the tools you need when you need them. Plus, we like to you know, update you on the news and then take a little deeper cut into the news instead of giving you a two-minute story that just creates a lot of stress and frustration and fear. We'll give you a one-minute story and a 30-minute expert where we will go in deep on how to take care of things. Today, by the way, we'll be talking about the emotion code learning the secrets of uh, energy healing. Do you have, for example, some emotions from the past, from something that happened to you a long time ago, that you just can't let go of? You can't release them. And they haunt you. Well, guess what? Today, you're going to have a chance to release those feelings. Doc, Joining us in just a few minutes, Dr. Brad Nelson will be on the phone with us. He's the author of the book called The Emotion Code, And he'll be walking us through that. Before we get to that, let's get to a few of the headlines. Uh, Last hour, we talked about the fact that uh, Donald Trump was peeved 
at CNBC because they were extending and prolonging uh, the debate. He didn't want another three-hour debate. How come the Democrats have a two-hour debate? The Republicans have a three-hour debate. And uh, Donald Trump just uh, tweeted out, at CNBC has just agreed that the debate will be two hours. Fantastic news for all, especially the millions of people who will be watching. Now, what's amazing to me um, about this whole Donald Trump not liking the debate rules of three hours is the fact that if if we're not watching Donald Trump on CNBC, we're watching him on CNN, we're watching him on Fox News, we're watching him everywhere. The guy who has never turned down an interview, um, he's he's worried about having to stand on stage for three hours. Let it go, Donald. Come on. Seriously. You got to let it go. I think it's more of a financial decision for Donald. He doesn't want to go make a lot of money for CNBC, who's charging, you know, CNN was able to charge $250,000 for their ads. And Donald's like, I'm not going to give him a lot of ad time. Anyway. So, boy, all of us can rest assured we only have to listen to him for two hours. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You said it. Only two hours divided by 14. You know what, folks? The odds are getting a lot better that you're not going to have to listen to some of these people as much. By the way, and you're not going to probably have to listen to them too much because they're running out of money. Some of them don't. Uh, they're running out of they're running out of the uh, the gold bullion. They're no longer making <laughs> gold for them. Um, here's the deal. Remember, folks, this election thing, we're not just choosing class president. We have to have somebody that can go in and clean up some of the messes that are going on back in uh, D.C. and in our government. One mess, for example, is the IRS that can't update out-of-date Windows servers because it can't find some of them. Uh, According to a a recent report, the Internal Revenue Service couldn't transition 1,300 of its workstations from Microsoft Windows XP to Windows 7 because the agency couldn't find them all. Hey, um, hey, where did where did you guys put the uh, where did you put the workstations? Oh, thank you. Um, All of a sudden, we can't find some of our workstations at the treasure at the IRS. Anyway, a re- oh, come on. I know a report released by the Treasury Inspector General for the Tax Administration basically said described that uh, an even attempt to upgrade 110,000 workstations. The, the, I, that's the point. There we go. 110,000 stations. They can't find 1,300 of them. Now I don't know what constitutes a station, but you know I'm going to assume it involves a cubicle, a computer system. Maybe it's on a laptop. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're just missing laptops. The report uh, noted that several thousand servers are still running on Windows Server 2003. So your IRS, uh, (laughs) your taxes are being processed through a Windows Server 2003, which, by the way, Microsoft stopped supporting uh, this last July. On the XP upgrade alone, the IRS has spent $128 million since 2011. $128 $128 million upgrading XP since 2000 or since 2011 and has budgeted another $11 million through the end of this year. 
The IG contends outdated workstations, in this case several years outdated, pose significant security risks to the IRS network and data, particularly in the environment where a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. <sighs> anyway. You will remember, by the way, earlier this year, the IRS suffered a data breach that compromised um, 114,000 taxpayer accounts. Hmm. So, ah, don't worry about it. Ah, don't worry about it. Hey, are you guys on it? I mean, are you guys working on it there at the IRS? Perfect. I feel so much better. Thank you, Beaker. Beaker's on it. Hey, another story we got to get to because this is huge news. Election news, folks, from the North Pole. A man with a soft white beard who prides himself uh, on being an advocate for young children has been elected as the city councilman in North Pole, Alaska. The rosy-cheeked 68-year-old candidate who happens to be named Santa Claus just won a three-year term in the community of about 2,200 residents southeast of Fairbanks. He's in, folks. Santa Claus is is now a city councilman for the North, North Pole. Uh, Santa, by the way, said my thanks is to, goes out to everyone who voted for me and all that supported my campaign. I'd like to thank all the little people. I'd like to thank those that are on both the good and the naughty list. He says, I'll do my best for all. Claus, by the way, who legally changed his name from Thomas Patrick O'Connor about a decade ago while living in Nevada said he's been an advocate for legislation and services that benefit all at-risk children. Wow. I mean, how do you not vote for Santa? You are, you're messed up. You know, if you're not going to vote for Santa... You're a monster! Exactly. Anyway, he's in, folks. I I just hope it doesn't affect this Christmas. Because I've got some serious orders that we've got to be putting in for Santa this year. Anyway, the news is great, right? Now let's go around the horn uh, and talk to Kathy Ake and find out what's going on and what has happened in the news throughout the week. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. The Democrats wrapped up their first of five debates Tuesday night in Las Vegas. Frontrunner Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders sparred on guns, foreign policy, and the economy. Hillary says she's a progressive that likes to get things done and spoke about her political identity. I think that, uh, like most people that I know, I have a range of views, but they are rooted in my values and my experience. And I don't take a backseat to anyone when it comes to progressive Uh, experience and progressive commitment. Clinton got the most airtime followed by Sanders, who actually defended Hillary on her email server controversy. Let me say something that may not be great politics, but I think the secretary is right. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. Me too. Sanders also said America is ready to vote for a democratic socialist like himself and spoke about his concerns with Wall Street. In my view, Secretary Clinton, you do not, Congress does not regulate Wall Street. Wall Street regulates Congress. And we have got to break off these banks. Sanders' campaign reports they raised nearly $2 million after his debate performance. At a presidential rally Wednesday night in Virginia, Donald Trump weighed in on the debate, saying Hillary would be easy to beat and called Bernie Sanders a socialist communist. I watched Hillary last night with, we're going to give this, we're going to give that, we're going to give that. She's the poor woman. She's got to give everything away because this maniac 
that we're standing on her right is giving everything away, so she's following. I call him a socialist slash communist, okay, because that's what he is. So then you see her stand up, and she goes, oh, I'm going to do that too, I'm going to do that too, I'm going to do that, because you got to win, because she's not doing so well. And in a head-to-head poll, they just did that. I beat her by five or six points. I love it. I love it. Just over 15 million people watched Tuesday's debate on CNN. The next Democratic debate is November 14th in Iowa. The third Republican debate is scheduled for October 28th. According to the most recent Fox News poll, Trump is in some trouble. Trump still leads all Republican contenders at 24 percent, but Ben Carson has nearly doubled his numbers in the last two months and is just one point behind at 23 percent. Ted Cruz is the only other one in double digits with 10 percent. Marco Rubio comes in fourth at 9 percent, followed by Jeb Bush at 8. President Obama announced yesterday he's dropping his plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by the end of his final term. This coming after acknowledging Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other insurgents. The U.S. has just under 10,000 troops there currently as part of its NATO mission, and Obama will reportedly reduce that number to around 5,500. The U.S. has been in Afghanistan since 2001, and Obama had promised to end the Afghan war on his watch. Two Kansas City firefighters died Monday night when a building engulfed in flames collapsed. The firefighters were able to save two civilians before it collapsed. Two other firefighters were hospitalized in stable condition. A Wisconsin gun store was ordered to pay nearly $6 million to two Milwaukee police officers who were shot in the face back in 2009. Jurors found the gun shop negligent for selling the gun used in the attack to a man who bought it for another man who couldn't purchase the gun legally. The officers were shot by Julius Burton, who paid Jacob Collins $40 to buy the gun for him. Burton is serving 80 years in prison for attempted homicide. If Badger Guns had done its job on May 2nd, then Brian and Graham would not have been shot on June 9th. That was Officer Patrick Dunphy's attorney. Collins, by the way, serving two years in prison for making the purchase. More details have emerged about Lamar Odom. The former NBA player was taken to a Las Vegas hospital after he was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel on Tuesday. New reports say Odom took cocaine as well as other supplements. Odom is reportedly on a ventilator, and sources say he's had at least one stroke and has suffered brain damage. Two parents face first-degree manslaughter charges after two of their sons were beaten at a church earlier this week. A 19-year-old was killed, and the 17-year-old brother is in serious condition, this coming at what was called a counseling session at the Word of Life Church in New York. Both brothers were continually subjected to physical punishment over the course of several hours in the hopes that each would confess the prior sins and ask for forgiveness. The parents, Bruce and Deborah Leonard, are being held on $100,000 bail. Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius will be released from prison Tuesday and serve the rest of his sentence for killing his girlfriend under house arrest. Pistorius is serving a five-year sentence after being convicted of manslaughter for shooting his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. The decision comes after Pistorius served just 10 months behind bars. USC football coach Steve Sarkeesian was fired Monday, one day after being forced to take a leave of absence. The firing came after several alleged incidents of the coach being intoxicated. Also Monday, South Carolina football coach and former Heisman Trophy winner Steve Spurrier announced he's resigning. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Well done, Kathy. (sighs) I had to run back. She's, uh, it's been a big week, hasn't it? And when you think about it, it's, it's enough to stress you out. 
That's why on a Friday, we wanted to bring in Dr. Brad Nelson. Dr. Brad Nelson, we'll have him right after this break. He's going to talk to us about the, the emotion code. How do we get rid of those emotions that just keep sucking the life out of us? Some of us are trapped in emotions. He'll teach us how we become trapped and how we can let some of them go. It might even be an epidemic. We'll be talking about all things emotional up next with Dr. Bradley Nelson. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. I think you need to be thinking about stories that provide the the thunderstorm environment from which a, a lightning bolt may strike. On the Appleseed, we share stories and inspiring conversation with storytellers. I often get ideas that seemingly come from nowhere, but I think it's because I'm always thinking about stories. I'm always thinking about turning things that I see or hear or observe into fiction. And if I wasn't doing that, then perhaps I wouldn't get the ideas. The Appleseed, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. You know, where would we be without our emotions, huh? All emotions, positive, negative, add a variety of color to our life. Sometimes we feel emotions we'd rather not have. Things like fear, anxiety, and grief. What you may not realize is that some of the negative emotions you've experienced may be creating problems for you in a subtle, yet very damaging way. The Emotion Code is about finding those old emotions and releasing them forever uh, Dr. Bradley Nelson is a holistic chiropractic physician and one of the world's foremost experts in, in the emerging fields of bioenergetic medicine and energy psychology. He's the author of The Emotion Code, How to Release Your Trapped Emotions for Abundant Health, Love, and Happiness. He joins us now live. Uh, Dr. Nelson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's uh, great to be on your show. Great to have you. And we hear a lot about this. Uh, you know, people, I've heard them talk about energy work. I've heard them talk about the fact that, you know, yeah, you're just, you're worn down. Your emotions are, are getting the best of you. Your energy's low. Talk to us a little bit about this field of, of, of energy and what does it have to do with emotion? Well, the fascinating thing uh, about it is that when we talk about emotional baggage, and people have probably said things like that about me and you. Oh, oh every you know, day. Matt. Yeah. Matt, Matt's got a lot of emotional baggage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a train wreck. <laughs> well, when we say things like that, what we don't realize is that there's a profound truth there because our emotional baggage, I've discovered, is actually a real thing. And to understand how this can happen, you have to look at the body for what it really is. Quantum physicists like Einstein have been telling us for over 100 years that the human body ultimately is just a very complex energy field. I mean, if you look at your hand, it looks solid, but if you magnify that hand a million times, you're looking face-to-face with a single individual atom, and inside the atom, there's really nothing but empty space and these little infinitesimally tiny energies zipping around at the speed of light. That's really what we are. Hmm. Now, we know that we can measure thoughts electronically. We can also measure emotions, and it it seems that different emotions have different frequencies. If you're feeling um, an emotion of anger, for example, you're feeling a certain vibration of energy because everything ultimately is just energy, right? Right. And if the person next to you is feeling an emotion of sadness, that's a, they're feeling a different vibration. Well, when you're feeling an emotion powerfully enough, 
sometimes the energy of that emotion can be so powerful it can become trapped in the body. And so we call these trapped emotions. So after the event is over, after the funeral is over, or the bully moves away, or you quit that job, or whatever it is, the, the divorce is over, uh, you can still be holding on to energies from those intense emotions that you experienced. And l let me give you an example. Um, there was a man that came to me many years ago who had uh, really severe low back pain. And he had had some traumatic things happen. We found a trapped emotion of anger for about 20 years before that had been stuck in his body. It was causing this back pain, believe it or not. We released that emotion, and this whole process probably took about five minutes. And the back pain was instantly gone, and completely gone. It went from about a 9 on the 0 to 10 scale to a 0. And he was amazed and very grateful, and it was almost miraculous. Well, a couple of days later, he came back into my office, and he said, you know, said, my back is great. That was amazing. But he said, I didn't tell you when I came in here that I have had an anger problem for as long as I can remember. He said, I'm always blowing up at my wife and my kids, and I'm just always kind of on edge. And I've tried different things. I've tried anger management and lots of different things. Nothing's ever really helped me. But he said, since you released that trapped emotion of anger, I just feel relaxed and I don't feel angry. How, hmm. how does that work? And at the time, this is like probably 25 years ago, at the time I said, I, I really don't know. But what we believe now is that when you have a trapped emotion, what's going on is that you literally have a little ball of energy, a little ball of emotional anger or emotional depression or sadness or grief or whatever it might be that's actually in your body. Um, these things, we seem, um, they seem to be from about the size of a baseball to about the size of a cantaloupe, and they can lodge anywhere in the body. And wherever they lodge in the body, they will tend to cause two things. They'll have two effects. One effect is that they distort the normal energy field of the body. And because all the body is is an energy field, when you distort the normal energy field of the body, you ultimately are distorting the tissues of the body. You're interfering with the chemical reactions. You're interfering to some degree with blood flow and drainage of lymph and chemical reactions. All these things are affected. So what happens is you end up having symptoms eventually in that area. So these things cause, we have found, they cause 90% of the pain that people have actually due to emotional baggage. So How? if you're in pain right now, there's emotional baggage nine out of ten times that's actually causing that, which is just unbelievable. That right? is. How, how do you know? I guess what I'm thinking is there's there's some skeptic out there, Brad, that's sitting there thinking, well, how do you know it was your baggage from when you were 12 and not just, you know, when you were 14 and you torqued your back sliding into second? Right. Well, here's the key to all of this. And let me just really quickly, let me finish the previous thought. Yeah. These things cause physical problems. Every disease process that, uh, that I've seen in 25 years now has had emotional baggage as a component. Now, sometimes it's a major component, sometimes it's a lesser component, but trapped emotions are always there. Every case of cancer, for example, that we've seen in 25 years, there's always emotional baggage there. It's an underlying cause yeah. of all these things. But it's also the underlying cause of depression and anxiety and phobias and panic attacks and eating disorders and PTSD and on and on and on. So releasing the baggage is really simple. So these, uh, these trapped emotions affect us in these two ways. They affect us physically, and then they affect us mentally and emotionally. And so 
to get back to your question, how do we find these things? Well, that was always my question uh, early on. I wanted to know what was really wrong with my patients. I wanted to be able to actually fix their underlying problems. Uh, I wanted to actually help them to totally get well, and I was always driven to find out what the underlying causes of their trouble uh, you know, really was. And so that led me to, uh, to ask for help from up above, and I got in the habit of asking for help and uh, just asking, offering a silent prayer to God for help with each person that I saw over the 17 years that I was in the, the uh, brick-and-mortar practice that I was in. And there were times when the information that I needed uh, on asking that silent prayer, and, and no one ever knew I was doing this. It was just a, you know, a very private, personal thing. Yeah. But there were times when the information would just literally flood into my mind about what was going on with these people and what they really needed. And um, that led me to this discovery, really, of how our emotional baggage is such a huge component yeah. of what's wrong with us and the symptoms that we have in so many different ways. And so how we find these things is really the, the answer to your question. And, and you see, it has to do with the subconscious mind, which you can really think of as being the spirit within us. You know, we live in our conscious mind, and that's where we make our decisions. But that part of us is really, really limited. When we come into this world, we're really dialed back as far as the amount of intelligence that's available to us. Right. Okay? Well, yeah. I mean, you're a, <laughs> right? and you're a baby, and yeah, yeah. You, you're you can pick up so much more information and energy, right? And know about. That's why when someone walks in a room, they can sense something's wrong, and yet we don't know. Our mind or our brain doesn't quite get what's wrong, but. Some part of us, our subconscious knows. Well, right. The subconscious mind knows. And, um, and what I believe is that before we, uh, before we live in this world, we live in another place with God. When we come down here, uh, all of that intelligence that we had in that other world is still with us, but it's kind of blocked off to our access. Now, what we have found, and we call that the subconscious mind, and you know, that's, the, that's really the intelligent part of us. I mean, that's the part of us that's so intelligent it can take a ham sandwich and it can turn that into cardiac muscle tissue and new red blood cells. I mean, it's a level of intelligence that is really totally beyond our ability to even comprehend. Right. Well, we can tap in to that subconscious mind. We can tap into that, that part of us that normally we don't access. We do that through various forms of muscle testing. or And muscle testing is just a form of biofeedback. And a lot of people are familiar with muscle testing. It's been around yeah. for a long, long time now. So that's, so that's what guides you to that energy ball. Yeah, we just simply ask questions. Um, do you have a trapped emotion that's contributing to your migraine headache or whatever it is, your infertility or whatever it might be? And the subconscious mind can't lie uh, because of who we are, because of where we come from. And so that answer uh, will be made manifest on uh, muscle testing. So in other words, if you're saying something that's congruent or true, you're, uh, at the same time, if someone pushes down on your outstretched arm, your body will be strong because your body is in a congruent state. You're saying something that's true or whatever uh, or congruent. Now, on the other hand, if you're saying something that's untrue or incongruent, what will happen is if someone presses down on your outstretched arm, the answer will manifest as weakness. So the body is essentially a binary computer, and it can answer questions. As long as the answers are yes or no, it can answer pretty much any question that you want. Now, I was a computer programmer back starting in the early 1980s, and so that prepared me 
for this uh, this paradigm, this understanding that the body is a computer and it can answer questions. That's and your cool. subconscious mind, you see, the spirit within you knows exactly what emotional baggage you have and what it's doing to you. Yeah. I mean, this really is, it's, I'm assuming this is what you see in a lot of, um, I guess, like Asian practices of, where where there's a lot of healing methods about energy too that aren't necessarily like mainstream medical. We have so much reliability. We feel like in our we believe and, and trust so strongly our medical practice, which may not get into a lot of this stuff, this energy and and uh, even kind of the spiritual side of it. There's also though a reality where we know if somebody is having has a negative energy they can bring it into a room and that energy can spread we can all feel that and yet we also discount it don't we well yes and you know the uh, the fascinating thing is uh if you look at if you look at the the west and how we take care of our health uh health care which is really sickness care is really essentially owned by the pharmaceutical industrial complex you can call it and so and we're conditioned because of all the billions of dollars of advertising that are spent every uh every year we're conditioned to think that if we have back pain we need don's pills and if we're depressed we need prozac etc but um you know i've seen suicidally depressed people for example people who had to decide every day if they were going to live or die that day i've seen them actually get well in a matter of days simply by releasing their emotional baggage. I've seen people who never, ever thought they would get married. I've seen them fall in love and find their soulmate I've, after getting their baggage removed. I mean, it's unbelievable. And oh, we yeah. Testimonials literally every day from all over the world now from people whose lives are changing. And, you know, what I tell people consistently is that this, um, this work, the emotion code, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just uh, I'm just the person. I really, honestly believe this was my. This is my mission in this world: is to bring this work into the world so that people can learn how to get rid of their baggage. Because the world has to transform. We have to change things. Uh, because you know there are great events that are going to be coming, but we have to change, and we have to get rid of our baggage. We have to yeah. open our hearts to love, and we have to transform a bit so that. You know, we can bring about the things that are supposed to be coming. Well, and that's yeah, totally. And we need well, and we need also, you know, just to have, just to not have to carry a ball of negativity in us would that in and of itself would just be such a blessing. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Bradley Nelson, author of the book The Emotion Code: How to Release Your Trapped Emotions for Abundant Health, Love, and Happiness. When we come back, we'll be talking about the specifics. How do I personally go about releasing some of this? painful, you know, emotion from the past. See if we can't, uh, and not throw it at, you know, Ben. I want to get rid of mine. I don't want to compound Ben's life. So take a hike. (laughs) Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about uh, how to release your trapped emotions. 
And joining us is Dr. Bradley Nelson. Um, he's the author of the book, The Emotion Code, Learning the Secrets of Energy Healing. And um, he's he really is here to, to teach us how to release our trapped emotions for abundant health, love, and happiness. That's uh, part of the subtitle of his book, The Emotion Code. He's been talking to us about this emotion, and we hold these emotions in, this energy in, and this energy he's teaching us also can then impact our health, our healing. It impacts everything. And um, you've all heard people talk about this. Oh, you've got bad energy, or I'm going to go to my therapist. They're going to do some energy work. So the reason I am so excited to uh, to be talking about this is to to learn there's, there's got to be so much information that we don't know as human beings, and we think we know. But uh, I'm, a, I'm very convinced that this, there's a lot of things going on with our energy and our emotion, our own physical health, that uh, we don't even quite get. And so, Dr. Bradley, emotion, or Bradley Nelson, thank you for teaching us about emotions today. <laughs> well, you're welcome, man. So, I mean, it all, you, you ought to change your name. Earlier, we talked about a guy that changed his name to Santa Claus. You could be Dr. Bradley Emotion. Hey, I'll think about that. The energy guy. Um, <laughs> talk to us some more about, you know, once we kind of, um, and this is in your book, I know, but how do we go about identifying with, I kind of, I guess, the muscle testing? Is that something I can do myself? Does someone else need to... To like a professional need to do that for me, and then how do I go about like getting that big ball of energy and tossing it out of my body? Okay, well, um, let me share with uh, let me share with you uh, one of the uh, simplest methods of actually tapping into the subconscious mind, just to kind of uh, just to kind of give you this experience and, and give your listeners this experience. First of all, to set the stage here, let me. Uh, let me just remind everybody uh, something that uh, you, you may or may not know. When they have done studies with plants, uh, when they take a plant and they put it into a room that has uniform lighting coming in all around, the plant, of course, will grow straight up. If you put a plant near a window, it's going to grow towards the light coming in from the window, right? right? Right. But what they found, though, is that if they put a speaker in that room with uniform lighting all around and that speaker is playing really beautiful, soothing, classical-type music, lullabies, the plant will actually bend towards the sound coming out of the speaker. Hmm. On the other hand, um, if they take another plant and they, uh, they have music coming out of that speaker that is really harsh and grating or, uh, you know, screamo types of music or annoying sounds, the plant will bend away from the sound coming out of that speaker. In fact, even the roots will bend away from that sound. So, what we learn from that is that uh, plants can respond to positive or negative input, and the human body is the same way. We can respond uh, innately to positive or negative input. And like a plant, our body will tend to sway forward if we're holding thoughts of truth or positivity or congruency. On the other hand, the body will tend to sway backward uh, if we're holding thoughts of negativity or falsehood or incongruency. So here's how this works. Now, this works best if you're standing with your hands uh, down by your side, just totally relaxed. You can do this if you're on a chair, just sit on the edge of the chair so your back isn't touching the chair back. So here's what you do. As you're standing there totally relaxed, close your eyes. Just relax your body completely and tune into your body for a second. And you'll notice that there's, there's a little bit of movement going on in the body, and that's just your postural muscles working as you're, you know, to keep you standing upright. Yeah. 
But now what I want you to do is I want you to think about something. Let's start with something negative, okay? Let's start with the thought of war. I'd like you to hold that thought in your mind. Think about war. Imagine that you maybe have to explain to somebody from another planet what war is and what really goes on. Think about it. What do people do to other people in war? What's happening in war? Now, as you're standing there totally relaxed, the moment your subconscious mind gets into resonance with what that thought is, what it really is, at that moment you'll start to sway backwards. War. Hold that thought. Think about that. What happens to villages and what happens to families and what happens to individuals that are, that are killed or maimed? I mean, think about all the wars that have been fought. Very, very negative topic. Your subconscious mind knows that. And, again, the moment you get into resonance with that, your body will start to sway backwards. That's your spirit within you, your subconscious mind, trying to move you away from that very negative hmm. thought. Now, now, on the other hand, are you standing, by the way? No, I'm not standing. I'm sitting. Okay. okay. Yeah. Did you feel that? Well, I, if I stand, everything else goes crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it works better. In the studio, anyway. <laughs> so let's try uh, something else, all right? Uh, let's, try, uh, let's try unconditional love. Let's imagine that a, a thousand years have gone by. Uh, you're still alive, but you're a different being. You're capable of giving and receiving unconditional love. Just imagine what it would be like to be surrounded and bathed with unconditional love. Not only that, but imagine that you are a being so powerful now that the unconditional love that you have the ability to generate uh, cannot even be contained by your heart. And that love expands out from your heart and it fills the immensity of space. Imagine what that would be like. And I know that a lot of your listeners right now are on their tiptoes because that's where I am. Your subconscious mind wants that and wants to move toward that. Now, what you can do is you can use this ability of the subconscious mind to give yes or no answers, you can actually ask questions. Like, hmm. for example, you can ask this question. Do I have a trapped emotion? Do I have a trapped emotion? Just hold that question in your mind, and your body's either going to sway forward for no as you hold that thought. You can't think about anything else, and you just hold that thought. Do I have a trapped emotion? And the body will sway forward for yes, backwards for no. And if, and if you... Uh, if you get a no on that one, you may have something going on that we call a heart wall. Now, what a heart wall is, is, um, you know, most of us at some point in our lives feel like our heart is going to break. We feel that pressure on the chest. Somebody's really hurting us or we're really grieving. Somebody's died or we're going through a divorce or whatever it is. And we feel like our heart is going to break. Now, those words for heartache and heartbreak are found in every language around the world that I've studied, and it's a universal thing. People feel this. Well, what we believe now is that the heart is actually a second brain. It's the seat of the soul and the source of our creativity and love and romance and everything else, just like the ancient societies believed it to be. Now, in the West, in Western medicine, we've never really paid any attention to the heart. We just decided long ago. The heart is just nothing but a mechanical pump. It's just a muscle. It pumps blood. That's all it does. But some strange things started happening when uh, we started doing heart transplants back in the 1960s. And people would come back to their doctor and they'd say, you know, doc, um, I think I'm losing my mind because now that I've got this heart transplant, um, my handwriting has completely changed. Oh, wow. My taste in music or food or sports. Uh, or, Doc, I have memories of places that I know I have never been, and I have memories of being there. How is this possible? Am I losing my mind? Now, there have been books written about this, and it's called Cellular Memory. 
and it especially happens when, with the heart when that heart is transplanted. Well, in every case, when these uh, when these poor people would go back uh, and connect with the family of the heart donor, they would they they would see things, um, or they would, the family would say, "Well, you know, that's my son's handwriting that you have now." Which oh, is really wow! Crazy, right? Yeah. Or yes, he had, he'd been to all those places, and yes, he loved baseball and hot dogs just like you do now. Or yes. My daughter loved classical music and actually was a violinist and so on. So anyway, these are amazing stories. Well, we believe now that the heart is far, far more than we ever thought it was before. Uh, they've done studies now where they find that the heart actually puts out an energy field that extends out around the body 12 feet in diameter. And they've also found in the lab, proven in the lab, that if one person is feeling love or affection for another person, their heartbeat will become measurable in the brain waves of that other person. Think about that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's really amazing. Like, I've heard of that, like attunement. We can get attuned to the other, and I mean, th- that's why th- this is just so not... We don't talk about this stuff very much, do we, Brad? Well, I do. Yeah, you do. You know what's weird? Now I've got everyone in my studio doing some muscle testing. <laughs> sure. Like, which means now oh. nothing's going to get done for a while, Brad. Yeah, sorry. They're all just solving all their problems. We've only got about a minute left. Talk to us. So once we kind of know we have an issue, and I know this is in the book, and and people can go to your website to to get the book. Um, but what is what is it that they what is it that we do to to release the emotion? Well, you go through this little process uh, of asking questions. We have a short list of emotions, and you identify the emotion on the list. I'll tell you what. What I'd like to do for all your listeners is. Uh, I'd like to give all of them a free copy of the Emotion Code ebook and the book on audio. If they just go to emotioncodegift.com, they can download the book and the book on audio. It's about a $67 value free. So emotioncodegift.com. Mm-hmm. And they can get it for free. That's great. And, uh, so you go through this simple process, and then um, to release the emotion – you can actually use a, any kind of a magnet. If you don't have a magnet, you can use your fingertips. They're also magnetic. And then uh, you just swipe down. There's a meridian in the body called the governing meridian that uh, goes, it starts at the upper lip, goes right over the top of the head. And you can just swipe that meridian a few times to release that emotion. No, you know, it's so, funny. I've seen that. I've seen a person on our, on our team uh, doing that very thing. So she must have learned from you, Bradley, because I mean, they're doing that. Yeah, and it works. It's it's so interesting. Well, you know what? I, I you've enlightened us. I think you've given us a lot, uh, a lot of I think intriguing information, um, and we appreciate the gift. Uh, DrBradleyNelson.com dot com is the website. drbradleynelson.com. dot com. You can go there to get more information about his blog, his posts, his comments, his Twitter, Facebook, all of that. You can also go to emotioncodegift.com dot com for that free gift of the uh, the ebook and the audio. So, man, a gift to boot. That's some good energy behind that. Folks, there's so much more to our world and our lives than, than any of us know. And uh, I think a huge percentage of it is more spiritual than any of us realize as well. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back, continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting discussion uh, that we just had with Dr. Bradley Nelson um, about the secrets of energy healing. Now, again, you've been out there. You've heard people talk about, you know, their energy work that they go have done. And uh, I wanted you to get uh, some understanding as to what these people are doing. I'm a big, big believer that we are made up of three things, at least body, mind, spirit. I believe I believe that deeply. And um, how it kind of works between the body, the mind, and the spirit, I'm not sure we always know or 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 get it right. Um, sometimes I believe, too, just believing it's working is is good enough. I mean, placebo effect is a real phenomenon, and we may as well trust in it to some degree. We also know energy is real, and we, we know that we bring energy. Now, where the energy comes from, body, mind, spirit, I kind of believe that your spirit's fairly neutral and positive and hopeful and good. In fact, I believe every spirit down here on this great big ball of mud came from a very calm, loving, peaceful environment. And I, and I know that by having a belief like that, for me, it helps me deal with other issues. But I also know that I have to deal with my body that has chemistry and um, – my mind that has some confusion and my spirit that creates communion. So I've got to kind of deal with chemistry, confusion, and communion. And my mind, I believe, is really designed uh, to protect my body. So my mind wants position because it makes it more powerful. It wants to be popular. My mind really, really enjoys, you know, the pretty things of the world. It enjoys making money because it makes me feel safer. It's prof- it likes profit. It likes power, prestige. But I don't believe that those things of the mind are necessarily the things my spirit cares about. My spirit probably, when I make a comment like, oh, I'm fat, I don't think that comment is coming from my spirit. My spirit is not sitting there thinking, yeah, your BMI is way out of whack. You've got to get a better BMI score. My spirit might care that I'm healthy, but it's not going to worry about my hair. My spirit's probably not going to worry about how much money I make, but my mind surely will. And when my mind makes a decision that I'm not making enough money or I need to make more money, it will probably create some chemistry and that'll flow out of the body. So here we sit on this big ball of mud, and we have to balance your body, your mind, and your spirit. And I could sit and be anywhere on earth and be coming from that, in that situation from my body, my mind, or my spirit. I can be sitting on the beach in Cancun, and my body can be relaxed, but my mind could be thinking, oh, there's so many other things I should be doing right now. And my spirit could be saying, relax, body, mind, spirit. I have a whole uh, workshop I teach called Ego Versus Essence, and our ego is so driven by our mind, and our essence is so driven by our spirit, and I think that creates the battle and the chemistry. But folks, this is all stuff we can work on, and you can take your values. You don't need to just believe mine, but just start thinking about it. What did you do today in your body specifically, in your mind specifically, and in your spirit today? Let's work on all three at the same time. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. Hour number two. In the can. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. It's Friday, my friends. Oh, oh, oh. it's Friday. You can now relax. It's the day of preparation for the weekend. Now, many people still have to work today, so let's not get too out of control. But it is Friday. And then, you know, lots of football games, lots of family time. Maybe you'll get to sleep in. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Life is good. And then you die. Welcome to the program. Not to be a downer, but uh, man, you you could have a worse job in the in the you think you got it bad category. How would you like to um, have to go put off, take find a bomb, an unexploded military artillery and go take care of it? Would that? Mm. Would that freak you out? Ben, every time I bring up a bomb, you don't need to do that. Because we're trying, this is a guy's job. Somebody. Well, that's why it would be scary. Because that is a possibility. Yeah, but you just made it a reality. No one was thinking it's going to happen, and then you made it happen. Well, people didn't really understand how it could be bad, I don't think. Oh, boy. Anyway, a man searching for rocks in the Utah desert, unique rocks, near Nevada state line, recently made an explosive discovery, a World War II-era bomb. Craig Alford says that the six-foot-long bomb is the best find he's made in more than 50 years of searching for stones. Alford notified the Air Force about the bomb. Yeah, we'll be right there. They all showed up in their black sedans. And though it wasn't discovered within the base boundaries, Hill Air Force Base spokesman Richard Essery says its bomb squad detonated it Tuesday afternoon with C-4 plastic explosives. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks for the audio support. He said it appears to be a practice bomb. It wasn't even a real bomb from World War II. Now, you know, I live in Utah, and I had cousins that lived near what's called the Tooele Army Depot. And for a job in the summer, they'd all go out and walk through the depot fields looking for explosives. Does that not sound like the worst job ever? They always started every year with 10 kids. They'd end the summer with five. It's so, so sad. Hey, um, hey, uh, Jimmy, um, careful with that bomb right there. Me, 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 me. Exactly. Thanks, Timmy. Yeah, it's a bad job. You think you got a bad job? It could be so much worse, folks. You could, you could be the guy that has to go, you know, detonate the bomb or bomb squad or, you know. You could just be a family counselor and have three bombs go off in your office every day. Everyone's got a different 
situation, don't we? And uh, so thank heavens we've got weekends coming up because the weekend coming up because this is going to this is going to be great. Uh, in the next few minutes, we are going to be talking with our good friend Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's going to be reviewing a couple of movies that are out that you can take your family to this weekend. Goosebumps is out. Also, Bridge of Spies. That's that saw that uh, show with Tom Hanks that is so popular. So we'll be doing a review of those movies and uh, letting you under, letting you see if this is these are the movies you should be taking your kids to. So we'll be talking with Rod Gustafson, his wife Donna from Parent Previews. But before we do that, let's do a week in review with our own Kathy Aiken. Kathy. Everyone, President Obama announced yesterday he will not withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan despite promising to do so during his final term. Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other insurgents. The U.S. has just over 10,000 troops there now, and Obama will reportedly reduce that number to around 5,500. During an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes on Sunday, Obama talked about the controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. I don't think it posed a national security problem. I think that. It- Uh, It was a mistake that she's acknowledged. As a general proposition, when we're in these offices, we have to be more sensitive and stay as far away from the line as possible when it comes to how we handle information, how we handle our own personal data. Uh, And, you know, she made a mistake. She's acknowledged it. Obama also said he believes the controversy has been ginned up for political reasons, but also said it's important for her to answer questions on the issue. Speaking of Clinton, most pundits say she won big during Tuesday's first Democratic debate. Clinton got most of the airtime and told viewers why she's running for president. Well, I can't think of anything more of an outsider than electing the first woman president, but I'm not just running because... I would be the first woman president. I'm running because I have a lifetime of experience in getting results and fighting for people. And I know what it takes to get things done. I know how to find common ground, and I know how to stand my ground. Bernie Sanders talked about his concerns on Wall Street, climate change, and fought with Martin O'Malley on gun control. Senator, it was not about rural and urban. Have you ever been to the eastern shore? Have you ever been to western Maryland? We were able to pass this and still respect the hunting traditions of people who live in our rural areas. And we did it Governor, you were... by leading with principle, not by pandering to the NRA well, and backing down to the NRA. This voting record, I don't and think I have I'm been asked I don't think NRA I am pandering, but you have not been in the United States Congress. Well, maybe and when you want to check it out, and if you, think, if you think that we can simply go forward, and pass something tomorrow without bringing people together, you are surely mistaken. Jim Webb and Lincoln Chafee were the other two on the stage. At one point, Chafee criticized Hillary on her vote for the war in Iraq. And you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I know, because I did my homework. And so that's an indication of how someone will perform in the future, and that's what's important. The next Democratic debate is November 14th in Iowa. At a presidential rally Wednesday night in Virginia, Donald Trump weighed in on the debate and said Hillary would be easy to beat. Hillary has had such a bad time as Secretary of State that I really think that she is going to be rather easy to beat. Trump also called Sanders a socialist communist. Just over 15 million people watched Tuesday's CNN debate, about 8 million less than the Republican debate on the same network. The third Republican debate is scheduled for October 28th. 
On Capitol Hill, the House continues to look for a new Speaker of the House to replace John Boehner. Many are trying to convince Wisconsin's Paul Ryan to enter the race, though he's declined the invitation even from Mitt Romney, the former presidential candidate he ran with. Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who threw his name into the ring, talked about what the House is trying to fix. we got to change things. Uh, we need a fresh start. Uh, we have a, a gulf and a divide that needs to be bridged. Uh, we need a speaker, I think, who takes the communications uh, realm and, and drives the discussion in this country about what it is we're standing for and what it is we're trying to do. And, uh, and so we're going through that exercise because Speaker Boehner stepped down and the majority leader decided that we do need a fresh face. The internal speakership vote was postponed last week. The full chamber vote is still scheduled for October 29th. Two Kansas City firefighters died Monday night when a building engulfed in flames collapsed. The firefighters saved two civilians before the building collapsed. Two other firefighters were in stable condition. The American dentist who killed the prized lion in Zimbabwe will not be charged. An official from the country says Walter Palmer obtained the legal authority to kill Cecil the lion. The report says Palmer is free to visit Zimbabwe as a tourist but will not be issued permits to hunt. Meanwhile, two men who allegedly helped Palmer still face charges. A school system in Connecticut has reversed its decision to cancel Halloween parades after an outcry from parents. The schools in Milford, Connecticut had canceled the parade, saying some children may feel excluded due to religious or cultural reasons. South Carolina football coach Steve Spurrier announced this week he's resigning from the team, effective immediately. The 70-year-old Spurrier won the Heisman Trophy in 1966 and was a third overall pick by the 49ers in the NFL draft one year later. Spurrier coached in the NFL as well as college. He led Florida to the national championship in 1996, but this year the Gamecocks are off to just a 2-4 and four start. USC football coach Steve Sarkeesian was fired just one day after he was put on indefinite leave. Athletic director Pat Hayden made the move after he determined Sarkeesian was in no condition to lead practice. In August, Sarkeesian appeared to be intoxicated at a pep rally. This is USC's fourth coaching change in just over two years. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Well done, Kathy. Uh, And what a week it's been, folks. Wow, you made it. It's Friday. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting with Rod and Donna Gustafson, our movie critics from parentpreviews.com. A couple of uh, great movies we'll be reviewing and um, getting you excited about Goosebumps and Bridge of Spies. They're uh, out, I believe, today. Good stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're just getting started to launch your weekend. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, one of my favorite times of the week. It's the time we get to talk about the movies with Rod Gustafson. Today, he brought his better half on the on the show with us. Donna Gustafson's joining us. Hello, kids. Hello. How are you this morning, Matt? Hi, Matt. Great. How's uh, How's Canada? Canada is great. We're having wonderfully warm fall weather. Yeah, it's, it's not the best. It's freakishly warm. It's wonderful. <laughs> but then you can go. Now you can go into the theater and cool off. Because mm-hmm. we, we're finally getting some good movies, it seems like. We've had a real run, Matt. I think over the last month, I think we have given at least a B-minus grade to almost everything we've seen, which mm. is highly unusual. It's about time. Because we, yeah. we, we had a long time. summer, didn't we? 
Yeah, we did we a did. long, dry summer. <laughs> so today we're going to be reviewing uh, Goosebumps and Bridge of Spies. I guess let's start with Goosebumps. And uh, Don- right. Donna, you, you saw Goosebumps, didn't you? Did. Lucky woman. <laughs> so I have to confess that when my children were young, I didn't let them read the Goosebumps books. No, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So very, very popular series of horror um, stories intended for a juvenile audience, you know. Yeah. So very strange thing. Um, the movie... That's probably a good rule of thumb for parents looking at this movie as well. If you're uncomfortable with that kind of ghoulish kind of story, this may not be your movie. However, if you're into amusement park rides and fun houses and that kind of thing, then this movie might be right up your alley because Mm. that's really what it is. So the premise of the story is R.L. Stein, who is the actual author of the of the books is a character in this movie and he's played by Jack Black and it turns out that his stories aren't just stories the creatures have actually come to life and he has to keep them in locked books so that they can't escape into the real world of course when the new boy moves in next door and starts making eyes at Stein's daughter um, the two of them end up opening some of these books and letting loose the creatures (laughs) on the unsuspecting town folk (laughs) eyes. Making. I haven't heard that for a while. Yeah, okay, that's weird. Okay, don't laugh at me. <laughs> so is it that Jack Black, this could be a big thing. I am assuming if this movie takes off, they could just keep pumping these out forever. Well, you know, it does leave room for a possible sequel at the end. You wouldn't want to close off all the opportunities. So bear that in mind if, as you're watching towards the end of the movie. Actually, and I think there is room for this type of a movie because we often, you know, parents, especially Halloween, I mean, this is obviously uh, I, I, uh, the obvious reason why this movie is being released right now. But it's very difficult finding a horror movie, if you will, that's suitable for, you know, like a 10 or a 12 year old. Right. And this probably is because it never takes itself seriously. I mean, these creatures are coming at them. They're giant mantises. They're little clay gnomes that are throwing knives at them. They're all these crazy, crazy things. But you're never, as much as they're always in peril, you're not really worried about anybody meeting Mm. their demise. You know, it it is much more of a thrill ride type of an atmosphere. It's kind of fun. Um, too scary for your little kids because the special effects are convincing enough that those little guys are not going to have that humor make the scary images less scary for them. Yeah. But for those older, you know, the older kids, your 10, 12, that kind of age range, this is kind of a fun ride. Well, and, and to to know, too, that they could then go over and, and go start reading the whole Goosebumps series if they're into that, then all of a sudden you get your kids excited about reading, too. Yes, you know, and that is one of the things that R.L. Stein has really been um, touted for. He, I don't know why kids find this particular genre so interesting, but they do. And he really did start a craze with a, a topic that kids wanted to read. So that is one of the things that even on his own personal website, he talks about encouraging your kids to read. Hmm. So if you don't care what your kids are reading and <laughs> horror is okay for you, yeah. then he's a good bet. He's a good bet. Now, doesn't R.L. Stein make a cameo in this? He does. And if you're worried about not spotting him, don't. If this is not a subtle Hitchcock type of cameo. <laughs> you'll know. You'll figure out that's who it is. Oh, that's good. So you ended up giving this what grade? I gave it a B. Good. I think that, you know, for the crowd that it's playing at, it's going to be quite successful. And I think that they will enjoy it. But parents, don't take your little ones. It will be a little too intense. The images are just too intense for them. Will it keep the parents engaged? 
I think so. You yeah. know, I think if you like roller coasters, if you like that kind of thrill, if you'll you be like, fine too. If you like Jack Black. And if you like Jack yeah. Black. He yeah. is quite funny. He tries to play, he's a, he's a kind of a serious but very unserious character at the same time. Uh-huh. He's, it's a good Jack Black uh, oh, example of what he can do. Well, that's interesting. And it's, uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard two or three just other people that have seen the, the, the preview, I guess they're calling it, but, and that they said he plays an interesting character of him. I mean, for himself, it seemed a little more serious, but he's still funny. Yeah, he is. You know, he plays Stein as this man who has actually got quite a large ego, but he's hiding it behind this very thin facade of trying to want to stay anonymous. You know, so you never really believe that he wants to stay anonymous, but at the same time, you know, he's trying to be that more serious character. Yeah. So, and and Jack Black pulls those two opposing ideas together very well. Mm. He also does some of the voice um, voices of some of the animated characters. There's a ventriloquist puppet, for instance, who's one of the bad, creepy monsters, and he does the voice of that as well. Oh, good stuff. So, uh, Goosebumps, that's one, a B rating. And again, they can go to your website to find out more and they read can. deeply about your review and, and see how you rated everything. Talk about Bridge of Spies. That, uh, uh, that's a PG-13 movie, but I hear that's getting some pretty good uh, reviews as well. Well, we have Steven Spielberg helming this movie. He's the director. We've got Tom Hanks starring. So right there, we know that hopefully we have a pretty good chance, at least artistically, of having a good movie. Now, Matt, I have to admit my bias. Hmm. I love spy movies. I love the intrigue. I love true movies. I love movies that are full of dialogue. And this one is all three. And uh, this is the story. As you get into this movie, most people my age and older will recognize that this is the story of the of the uh, Soviet spy that was uh, arrested back in 1957 in the United States. And, uh, and he was put in prison. And the United States eventually made a deal with the Soviet Union and with the East German government to try trade him for two United States citizens, Francis Gary Powers, who was a, uh, he was a pilot flying a U-2 mission over the Soviet mm. Union, and the Soviets shot him down, and as well, another young uh, graduate student who was studying in Berlin, Frederick Pryor. And so this, these are events that actually happened, and in the research I did, the movie holds fairly close. I mean, like all movies, they kind of do some composites of different events that happened and that type of thing. But for the most part, it holds quite close to the story. And, and it's, it's full of action? Or what, how, how does it play out? No, this is not an action movie. And so, guys, if you're expecting that you're going to get James Bond, you won't get James Bond. This is the type of movie where you have a close-up of a telephone waiting to ring. Oh, yeah. And- the tension is building, building, building. But, you know, I, I really like that. Out of context, that sounds really boring. But <laughs> when you build up to this moment as to what is going to happen, how are these people going to sort this out? And when you consider, like, this is in the height of the Cold War right. and nuclear annihilation was on the table between the USSR and the United States. And, uh, and so there are huge stakes at play here. But what is interesting about this movie is it puts a human face on both sides, not just on the American side, but as well on the Soviet Union side, too. Well, and just to bring that history back to our kids, I mean, yeah, we duck and cover the. we used to have a lot of fear back then. And I don't think yeah. our kids quite understand 
what that and they was do like. the duck and cover. There's a classroom scene where where they're showing that film as well. <laughs> really? But yeah, it it really is. So I mean, this is one of those movies where there's a lot of things that happen in the dark shadows and uh, and like I say, these these conversations and and but it comes together really well. It's well over two hours long. It's about two hours and twenty minutes. Make sure you've got a full bag of popcorn for this <laughs> yeah. one. But empty the but, bladder before you go in. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. yes, you're I'll take care of that for you. There, guys. That large double-sized pot, uh, soda that you get. Yeah. And, uh, but it really, uh, it works very well. And I, I, I was well into it. I didn't notice the two hours and 20 minutes. And I usually get a little picky about movies that keep my seat that but long. But you are a spy fanatic. Um, talk about the grade. What grade did you give it? Well, the biggest concern, we gave this one a B plus. I would love to have given it an A. And there's two reasons that one that kind of knocked it to an A minus and then another one that knocked it to a B plus. It, this is a period set movie. So there is a lot of smoking in this movie. And we are usually pretty hard on smoking in movies. However, when you do have a historical time frame, I get it and we understand why that's there. But that kind of took it from an A to an A minus. But then the part that really bothered me, Matt, was in one scene, there's actually relatively few profanities in this movie. And then all of a sudden in one scene, we get two uses of the sexual expletive, mm. that, that little four-letter uh, word that we hear way too often. Yeah. And really were totally unnecessary. And uh, so for that, it, it's down at a B plus. Okay. But otherwise, though, it really, if I could, if I could remove even the, the sexual expletives, it would be in the A range for me. It really is a, a, a very well-done movie. I think you'll see it up for some awards at Oscar time. Oh, that's great. Two great choices. Uh, Goosebumps, Bridge of Spies. Again, everybody go to parentpreviews.com. You can see uh, the all, all of the background and the review that they've put together, both Donna and Rod. They do such a great job making sure that we know what's in the movie before we take our families to it. Both of you, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Uh, great insight, folks. Let's take a break. Come back. When we come back, uh, I've asked a couple of my producers to come in. Liz Miller will be joining us, as well as Ben Wasden, and they are going to teach me about Germany, all things German and the German language, folks, because, uh, you know, I've used it in the past. Not <laughs> actually know nothing about it, but stick with us. We'll be talking all things German with my producers. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I didn't understand a word she was saying. Probably because that was in German. Was that in German? That was in German. Hey, joining us today, one of our producers, Liz Miller, and um, board boy, we call him, Ben Wasden. Little <laughs> That's Benny. the first time I've ever heard that nickname. Board boy. It's like bubble boy, but we it's just like bubble boy. don't want to tell you. We always, call, we always say that behind your back. We call, him, we call you board boy. And sometimes we call you bubble boy. Bubble boy, but we don't quite know why we do that. Hey, um, talk to me. Uh, you guys are here today. We always like to do this little segment where we can meet the producers, but also where I want you to teach me. And yeah. it just so happens that you and Ben uh, fell in love in Germany. 
That's right. We did. We sent uh, Perrier Kitchen, Carrier Pigeons, or Perrier Kitchens. It's a new breed. <laughs> I love Perrier Kitchens. <laughs> Back and forth for a while while we were there. Yeah, it was great. We... You guys were weird because when we um, – when we, how do I put this? When you mm-hmm. walked in and you both started speaking German, mm-hmm. I saw a light in your eyes. And it's like, wow. They're connecting. It's the joy of speaking German. Yeah, actually. it's really the language. The German language is is really it's it's the it, language of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, it's also I've heard. Isn't it the language of love and romance? It it is between a man and his. I mean, because it's got that guttural. His... It's got that guttural sound that just no, says romance. That's that's more Dutch, actually. <sighs> I think that's like Flemish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love. The, Oh, isn't that a staked place? That oh, it's no. Fleming. Sorry, oh. that's different. <laughs> so, um, what are we going to learn about Germany? You you already blew my mind. We are all one or two votes away from speaking German today. Yeah, that's true. So back in the in the beginning of America, we had a vote on which language we were going to make our official language, and we were a couple votes away from speaking German. So I guess we were thinking what Spanish, English, German. I don't think Spanish was on the list. No, I don't think that was ever in the running. Because. <laughs> I know Spanish, not to brag. I'm fluent in Spanish, and it is, I've heard, second to English, it is it is a language that you will speak in heaven. It no. Really... No. Yeah. Well, that's assuming you, you go to heaven first. Oh, man. Oh, it's oh, my word. Did you just say that? Anyway, keep going. All right. Keep, well, keep, keep going, Liz. We wanted, we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of Germany yeah. in your day. In my day, today. In your day. Okay. And then today. Teach me. So in your day, yeah, uh, the Berlin Wall was still up. I remember. It was kind of a thing. I remember. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Had the Cold War going on. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that, this wall. This and that wall. He just, this, he just said, just this wall. And Everyone. then everyone was like. It's true. It was and, a big deal. And, and Mr. Gorbachev said. No! Like, <laughs> That's yeah. How, that's how it all went down. <laughs> so so that went down. That was a huge part of my life. Yeah. So what was that like for you, though? Because It was, it was amazing. Was I actually too. was out of the country in Argentina. Were you speaking Spanish? I was speaking Spanish, uh, the language of heaven. And they – but here's the deal. So there weren't any LDS missionaries. They were all coming like from the United States and from South America. And when that wall went down, about a year into my mission, they sent a missionary from East Germany. One of the first missionaries out of East Germany came to our mission. And it was a big deal because now it's like now we can actually talk to the East Germans about religion before they weren't even able to like practice it really. Mm-hmm. So it was a very monumental moment. I talked to a lot of Germans in like southern Germany mm-hmm. and they were talking about – because before – the German, the Berlin Wall came down. It was like like native Germans could go to East Germany and talk yeah. about religion, but only like privately. And so it was really interesting uh, yeah. seeing you how they like had have it formal. Yeah, so they they sneak over the border and yeah. to invite people to the church, they'd ask people if they like for directions to the church. Interesting. So it was it was way cool. It's a cool. It's a great story. And yeah. And then when it came down huge, I remember watching on TV people just trying to do whatever they could to tear that wall down. And it was a hard wall to tear down. Yeah. It, it was, was a very thick it wall. It was very – it was actually. The structure for yeah. that thing was pretty like, You have to keep people out. 
Yeah. See, by the way, this is why Donald Trump wants wants to build build a wall. wall. (laughs) It just seems like bad symbolism. Also, why Germany is relevant. That's exactly right. They're very relevant. Mm-hmm. And 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 Merkel, what's her name? Yeah, um, Angela Merkel. I think was... it's I think it's Angela oh, Merkel. Sorry, Angela. Yeah, Is that you, you say it I think in you Spanish. Missed, yeah, how did you say it? Angela. <laughs> you said it. Yeah, you said it wrong. But Angela. Is that how I'm supposed to Angela say? Angela. Wow, Merkel. Got to roll that moment right there. No, it's kind of ugh. anyway. Um, so she's she almost won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, she's, she's a real like she's the real deal. She is. She's actually the first female chancellor of Germany. Is she she's really? a physicist. Yeah. And um, she's been doing a lot of work with the refugees, trying to take care of that. Um, right now, it's kind of going to, all right, wait, pause. Yeah, like, we need to figure out how to take care of she's these She's leading that way. She's also the one that uh, George Bush gave a little shoulder rub to. I don't know if you remember this. And she gave him stink eye. <laughs> like, don't ever do that again. She looked at him like, are you rubbing my shoulders? Well, that's, that's a really actually positive thing about the German culture. They're very open to tell you exactly what they think. Like, don't and, touch me. And, and, exactly. and, and people aren't offended by it. No, it's fantastic, actually. Like, you can just kind of say what you mean. And sometimes it's like, oh, oh, ow, okay. Is that hard as an but American to go there? And because you might be sensitive, like, oh, man, sorry. Maybe. I mean, but, I don't but know. maybe, I mean, I don't know. Ben, maybe, maybe if you're not sensitive, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just went at it like embrace the awkward. It's just yeah. it's going it's, to be that. It's but too, be great. how cool that you know what they're thinking. They're not going to beat around the bush and just be nice to you in your face and then yeah. stab you in the back later. They they actually have a phrase for beating around the bush and it's called sprechen durch die Blumen, which pa- means ca- pardon? speaking through the flowers. Let's say that one more time, Ben. <laughs> Good job. It sounded different the second time. Did it, it was a uh, that was your Schwabish accent on that second time? Is that what was going on? Yeah, that was it was a mix between Bayerish and Schwabish. Oh, hey, um, no inside German jokes because that's only funny to you two <laughs> and our German listeners audience. and yeah. all seven of our German audience. <laughs> They're awesome. Stay strong. Stay strong. What else can I learn? What else can you teach me? Ben has a few things about language he wanted to talk to you about. Okay, I ben. wanted to teach you some German. Let's do that. Okay, so first... I have an ear for languages, by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So do you know what high German is? Yeah. Okay, do you know where that came about? Well, uh, I think wasn't that like our Woodstock? And everyone went and imbibed and partook, and then they high had German. a high German, mm-hmm. bunch of high Germans. It's also commonly used on uh, hot air balloons when Germans oh, are up there. Yes, that's one way to do it. No, what's High German then? So High German is like the um, the official language of Germany. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the clean German, the easiest to understand and the most formal. Okay. But it was actually invented by Martin Luther when really? he translated the Bible. Really? Yes. And I did so not know that. Before so Germany wasn't really a country until I think the the 1700s or yeah, around that time. And so Germany was just full of all of these different kingdoms. And so everybody had their own dialect of okay. Germany. Yeah, yeah. And so today, everybody ha- everybody's really proud. And there's a lot of cultural significance to uh, German dialects. So so do most people speak high German? Um, Is that de- like the formal German? So in, in northern Germany, it's a lot more common. Cool. But where I lived, which was Austria and, and southern Germany, there were a lot of dialects. That... Yeah. So yeah, you 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 were more 
you use a lot of slang. Yeah, yeah German slang. He's and, kind of the gangster German. Yeah, and I've met him. Is that why he wears the bling and the? See, I, yeah. I didn't even know it was slang until I talked to. Liz. How do you say grill in German? Because like the rapper has the grill. Like you, I mean, I know you have a grill and you wear a lot of bling. What do you call all that gold? Good, Cena. Yeah, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> that sounds totally. Right. Yeah, it's on a... <laughs> what, what else? What else do we need to learn before we've got to go? We've only got one more minute, man. All right, this goes fast. oh man. Okay, you need to learn something okay. in German. Are you ready? This is how. This is an important phrase for you specifically, okay. Matt. Yeah. Okay, repeat after me. Yes. Okay. Hallo. Hallo. Ich. Ich. Heiße. Heiße. Matt Townsend. Matt Townsend. Ich. Ich. Bin. Bin. Ein. Ein. Radio Moderator. Radio Moderator. <laughs> Thank you. Very nice. That means I, my name is Matt Townsend. I'm a radio host. Announcer. Yeah, perfect. Look at you. You're speaking German. I got an ear for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then next you can learn, Hallo, ich bin Matt Townsend. Ich bin ein Berliner. Hold on. Say that again. So, hallo. Hallo. Ich. Ich bin, bin Matt Townsend. Matt Townsend. You guys say my name totally wrong. Ich, <laughs> ich bin, bin ein, ein Berliner. I don't like that word. I'm not saying that word. It's really a very delicious word. What word is that? It's the word for a jelly donut. <laughs> yeah, I'm not eating for like a, It's very good. There's actually a Berliner challenge. The donut is covered in powdered sugar and you have to eat it without licking your lips. Oh, that sounds good. kind of hurts. Does, um, it sounds like he was being rude. Um. Yeah, yeah. I think he was. But you know what? Presidents have said this too. So you're just following in the footsteps of greatness. Whatever, Liz. I like <laughs> you a lot. Ah, oh, thanks, man. Liz. Seriously, you're going to be here a long time. Seriously, you've got a great future here. Thank you. You too. Thank you. I foresee great things. Thank you. Just the two of us. Ben will not be around. Choose Ben because he's a uh, he's a donut. He's a Berliner. He's a Berliner. And you say that in Austria, you say Krapfen. He didn't even know how to say Farfig Nugan, by the way. Farfig Nugan. Mm-hmm. Farf is far. Say it with me. Far. Far. Fig. Fig. Newton. Newton. Farfig Newton. Farfig Newton. Farfignugen. Farfignugen. Not even close. You got it right, though. Farfig oh, Newton. Points. That's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Good job. A little German lesson from the producers. We'll come right back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. They're going to be at Lavelle Edwards Stadium in preparation for tomorrow's big game, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, we're going to we're going to have to heave it down a block and a half or so down to the uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, where our good buddies Spencer and Jerem are hanging out with BYU Sports uh, Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you for sending it down from your lofty throne. Yes, we have to send it down to the minions. <laughs> hey, um, Kevin, I, Bob, and Stewart. <laughs> Kevin, Bob. And- I didn't realize the game. I actually did know it, but I didn't. It didn't click. The game is uh, tonight. The game's tonight. It's game day. Holy cow! Eight Eastern time. It's a big uh, deal. ESPN. They're and, playing uh, Cincinnati. Seven. Yeah. Now Cincinnati's you, a good team. Man. They are. I'm noticing they're they beat Miami. Yeah. 
They did. In fact, uh, they hung with Memphis, who's an undefeated. Their two losses are to undefeated teams. That was the same situation last week with East Carolina. Temple is an undefeated team with a good defense that beat Penn State. That's Penn State's only loss. Penn State plays Ohio State. We'll see, see how good the Nittany Lions are and subsequently Temple. And then the other loss is to Memphis, who's a 5-0 and team. BYU mm. knows what it's like to lose to Memphis. That happened in the Beach Bowl last year. All too oh, well. yeah. yeah. Did you call uh, it the Beach Bowl or the Beating Bowl? Well, the Beach Brawl oh, is beach one brawl. version yeah. of it. Yeah. Okay. We've tried to move on. From yeah, that we don't want to bring that up. Yeah. Just keep going. Don't go there. Is somebody whistling behind you? Yes. Yeah. Someone, someone down below. Yeah. So we got we got a lawnmower. I know. A couple lawnmowers. We got. We had the leaf blowers last time we did this. I know. I remember. Cinnamon almonds are going to be roasted here mm. later. No, seriously, they do the pregame show here. I'm in the building, and Spencer and Brian Logan really can't handle it. He just smells the almonds and he has to mention something every <laughs> time. Sal- he starts salivating. Play. We opened the show. We're like 30 seconds into the pregame show, and he's like, "I'm just ready to eat some almonds, man." <laughs> Bring me the almonds. So your show, what are you going to talk about? I mean, I'm sure you're going to go in depth on the game, right? Absolutely. And why the next game, which is against Cincinnati, first time ever for the Bearcats and Cougars in college football, why this matchup is the most important game left on the schedule. Mm. It carries more than just a win or a loss, just a number. Ooh, that's big. Okay. The context of the season plays into that heavily. Missouri is an SEC team that's 4-1, and one, probably going to lose a couple games. 4-2 and two now because they lost last week. Uh, Cincinnati's a big game. We'll, t- we'll discuss why that matters. Without a conference, BYU's context for relevance is a national ranking. There you go. You two losses already. You've got to keep winning, and this is the best home game left on the schedule. This is the last opportunity for BYU to impress, to really impress national voters against a respected program until mid-November. <laughs> Not going to win any overvotes in Wagner. And then it's Utah State, and that should be a game that, in my opinion, BYU should be favored in, even though it's in Logan. Or it'll be close. Yeah. So, this, I mean, this is it for a month. Well, and do you remember we were thinking that these games were all, you know, that supposedly this was the easy part of the season, which it is, except these teams are good. Yeah, easier because yeah, but- September was so tough. October feels a lot easier. That doesn't mean it's easy no. per se. You got to win. I thought ECU was a, a quality team. I think Cincinnati's a better team than East Carolina. The same situation: a three and two team whose two losses were to undefeated teams. Mm-mm. Same situation. Okay, that's going to be a great show. I can already tell. I can already tell. And you can't wait. I, I can I can smell I can smell the the almonds. From there? Yeah. Wow. It, it's From you. your lofty throne? Mm-hmm. It's the wind wafting up this up the hill. Wafting? Yeah. <laughs> them, them almonds are just wafting up the hill. Them, wafting up the hill. Hey. Them almonds. <laughs> hey, the BYU football movie trailer makes a return to the show today. We do a live movie trailer. Wow. Matt, yeah. it, listen. You guys. If you have not seen, if you didn't see the original by Jerem Jordan which, which last, last year. fall. Okay. I'm, no, I didn't. You cannot miss today. We only, we've only busted out once. That's how special it is. Okay. Now I'm watching okay. it today. What, do you, can you tell me exactly what time it's going to be on? Because I, uh, I usually about a- five after. Okay, because after yeah, my show, five, seven okay, minutes good. after. Okay, it's, it's, I, I'm usually it's getting special. a churro. Uh, I'm usually getting yeah. a churro five after, but so I, I'll wait for my churro. Down the churro. Down the churro. Cinnamon, you know. Yeah, I'll almonds, come down and churro. I'll come watch your show down there and get me some, get me some almonds. <laughs> that wouldn't be weird at all. Nah, guys, you're awesome. It's going to be a great show. Knock them dead. Doctor Matt, thank you. Game day. Game Stay day. Sweet. Be safe and don't get pulled over.
We didn't this time. I know. That's we're a miracle. Yeah. We're off to a good start. <laughs> the Popo are in our corner, man. <laughs> the, the Popo are watching out for you. Well done, boys. Have a great show. See man, you, sir. It's a big day for them. They've got, they're going to go. See, I get to go relax now, kick my feet up, eat my churro, all that fun stuff. Spe- practice my German. Mm. Take my nap. They have to work till probably midnight tonight. Then they have to clean up after the show, put the tables away, the whole deal. Anyway, uh, we got, um, we've got just a few more minutes that I wanted to tell you a couple of other stories that are in the news. Crazy stuff. Uh, how about this? This is why you might be grateful you live in the big city and not in Montana. Students in, uh, at Montana got a firsthand lesson in wildlife biology at the Bozeman Montana High School when a black bear wandered through the hallway before the start of classes. Um, Superintendent Rob Watson says members of the Booster Club were meeting in the cafeteria at about 7.30 a.m. Wednesday when a bear was spotted on the football field. The bear walked into the school courtyard and then through the garage door and down a long locker-lined hallway. And uh, um, Mrs. Jones, I think I saw a bear. Uh, Timmy? Quiet. We're doing the lesson here. Okay. The uh, Gallatin County Sheriff's deputy, who is a boot in the booster club, kept an eye on the bear, which stayed in the school for a few minutes before the police officer was able to usher it out. Excuse me, bear. I'm going to ask you to leave. By the way, Ben, how do you usher a bear out of a school when it's in the hallway? You're supposed to be sleeping. <laughs> Oh, that lady. Why? Why? Why are you doing this? Bear, please leave. It's not even food. (laughs) That is so sad. So sad. Anyway, um, all's well. No one was injured. Just a bear. And, for heaven's sakes, maybe the new name of the mascot. The bears. There's another crazy story. Let's just say you are a farmer, okay, and you've got a fire. You just, out in the field, happens all the time. You go put all your wood, all the things you need to burn, the leaves, everything you've collected. You just make a big fire, right? Not a big deal. Just a fire. Well, you got to eventually figure out how you're going to put the fire out. And there's a lot of ways by the way, uh, for how you should put a fire out. There's some ways work. Some ways don't work. Um, One way not to do it was learned in Clay County when a Clay County Sheriff's deputy retreated to a safe distance from a van that was burning in a field Tuesday afternoon after he heard the sound of live ammunition going off inside the van. The deputy found the van burning about 2.30. It was in the, he had been in the middle of a traffic stop when he saw black smoke on the horizon. Probably heard ammo blasting away. Jeez. <laughs> the deputy learned that the owner had been burning garbage in the field and accidentally let the fire get out of control. And in an attempt to put the fire out, he said, Hey, I'm just going to drive my van over the flames. That's just that's how Dad taught me to do it. Just, so, Dad, how do I put the fire out? What you do is you take a vehicle, you drive it into the middle of the park, uh, and you just drive over the flames and you just put it out that way. Now, that, that seems weird because there's like a big tank of gas. And son, do not even worry about it. Just go over back and forth five or six times. Okay, Dad. 
Anyway, in an attempt to put the fire out, he drove his van back and forth over the flames. This made matters worse. You know, you spread the fire out a bit. Some of it would stick to the underbelly of the car as the tires of the van caught fire. Yeah, that's a problem. Because tires are made of what again, Ben? Rubber. Rubber. Isn't rubber flammable? I think so. It seems it's, flammable. It's made out of, isn't it made out of like yeah, oil? Yeah, petrochemicals. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Oh, boy. Uh, is that the way to do it? Apparently, that's how they do it in some places. Uh, the deputy did not respond immediately, which I thought was brilliant. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things, like a lot of deputies would just want to jump right in there. But when the ammo's going off, he's like, I'm going to sit back for a minute. So he didn't go in. And the farmer's like, you know, uh, don't even worry about it. Just let it burn. Let it burn. He's like, don't you want to save your van? He's like, eh. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. The the farmer didn't even make a report. He didn't even claim the – he didn't want to make a, an insurance claim. He didn't think that they would do it. Personally, you want my take on this story? That's not the real story. That guy, I'm betting, probably doing drugs. I'm making up the story because we're not getting all the facts. He went out there, drove the van, saw a fire, started driving over the fire in his van. He's probably an importer of illegal ammunition. He had a whole truck full of it. It shredded his truck, and he just was like, I don't even need it. I've got another van. So no problem. It's just something's fishy. Who doesn't have you go put out the fire? Come on. Anyway, could be worse, folks. Could have lost your van <laughs> and thousands of dollars of ammunition. Hey, uh, we got to tell you this great story um, for the hero of the day. After a high schooler defends a blind kid from a bully, the hero in question, Cody Pines, was allegedly punished for the Huntington Beach High School fight. But a petition called the actions of the school unjust, noting that uh, Pines only came to the aid of a blind boy. So basically, a, a, a little while ago, a blind boy in this high school named Austin was being bullied. He was being beat up, basically. And this Cody Pine says, hey, quit beating that kid up. And Cody stepped in for the blind kid and went and beat up the bully. Now, we don't, you know, you shouldn't beat people up. Unless, of course, they're beating up a blind person. And this Cody went in, st- stood up for the blind boy put the other guys in their place but right then the teachers found him boom and the bully by the way whose name was Noah was arrested on battery charges after the video went viral Cody Pines though is now the hero of the day because he was the guy that defended the blind kid from the bully and in an interview with the New York Daily News, he was also quite clear that he did not want it to ruin the bully's life. He said, I kind of regretted it, but I kind of didn't because I, if I didn't, Austin wouldn't, he would have been hurt more. But he said, I also don't want this to ruin Noah's life. What a stud. Takes care of the blind guy. The, you know, there's a little Batman movement right there. Also doesn't want the, the you know, the bully to have it ruin his life. The Huntington Beach school community is disappointed and discouraged by the recent bullying behavior captured on video at Huntington Beach High School. We are proud of our quality high school students 
and this incident does not reflect the school climate. Anyway, special shout-out to Cody Pines, Hero of the Day. Also, just all of us, folks. We all can be heroes. You don't have to beat up a bully. Sometimes you can just not bully. That might make enough heroic efforts for all of us. Anyway, that's the show. Thanks for being with us. You can find out uh, more about our shows. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and tune in. Also, join us on BYURadio.org. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until Monday, take care. We'll talk to you then.